Next generation results start now. NextGrow brand alfalfa delivers performance today and tomorrow. We're forage-minded and future-motivated, just like you. Few companies offer a broader portfolio of Harvextra, Roundup Ready, and conventional alfalfa. And we help you choose based on your needs and your environment. What's next for your fields? Get next-generation results with the latest genetics. Contact your NextGrow alfalfa seed dealer for more information. Meet Bob. Hey, Bob. He's a four-time tire rotation champion. When he was a baby, his first words were automatic transmission fluid. Bob's so cool, he has engine coolant running through his veins. And then there's Kyle, also known as premium unleaded. Legend has it that Kyle can change your oil with his toes and that he can tell your tire's air pressure just by how you're walking. He's Bob, he's Kyle, and every Saturday morning they morph together to form the greatest superhero known to man, Mr. Mechanic. Check engine lights don't stand a chance. This is the Mr. Mechanic Show on 1110 KFAB. Good Saturday morning to you. This is the Mr. Mechanic Show. 558-1110 is the numbers to get in. We are Buchanan Service Centers, 50th and Dodge, 80th and Dodge. Guaranteed breaks 49th Avenue in Dodge. Stop in and see us. We're on Dodge. You've come past us one time or another. This is an interactive call-in show where you have the questions. We've got the answers, So, uh, or we'll help you with the answers. Top two, top three, and uh, help you get that car back on the road. Or just that question you have about that car that's doing goofy things and not really sure what and why. Boy, we've got experience. We've got experience with that, yeah. I'm Bob. Sitting next to me is Kyle, as always. Cars are always making funny, goofy noises all the time. We get a new one here every year. And, you know, it always seems like the brakes make noise in reverse when they're first cold. Then when you go forward, they don't make them anymore. Of course, you're pitching them in a different way when you Mm -hmm. go to stop versus pitching them in the other way when you're going the other way. So it's just kind of interesting, kind of weird. So there you go. Got that project car. You're getting up. You know, season's coming. You know, uh, car season's coming. We, we want to make yeah, sure it's well underway in some yeah, neighborhoods. It is, but we want to make sure you we get you to the to the venue and get you back so you're not on the side of the road with the uh, you know other classic cars that uh, are stuck and and uh, you know they don't move very often. So problems will happen. Problems yeah. happen all the time. I mean, I don't know. We both have classic cars, and I mean, there's something you got to drive. You got to keep a carburetor working, otherwise it just stops working altogether. It does. It does. Same it, with everything else that's mechanical on that car, which is everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Absolutely. And it, stuff it, like it, that sits. Nothing good comes of it. Mm-mm. Nope. There's always something, you know, the oil, the, the carburetors, the gas. You know, you just got to get them up. The batteries go dead. I usually charge my the batteries in the classics, uh, you know, about midway through, you know, mm-hmm. maybe in January or something oh, like sure. that. Yeah. Throw a battery charger on it for slow charge for an hour and a half or something like that. So when I go to take it out, it's nice and, and nice around and full. Every car show circle, I've heard this story a million times. That guy that, oh, this car sat in a garage for 50 years and all he did was put gas in it and drives yeah. it every day. That guy's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That did not happen like that. It, it, there's a lot of maintenance. Yeah, you, you do hear that. You know, this is a great car. I've hardly done anything to it except and except, yeah, except the list, a two-page list. So yeah, yeah, that's just part of part of owning a car, and it's a far, far better now than it ever used to be. 
I mean, every, every six months it was points and plugs that come in. Points and plugs, points and plugs. That's just what it needed because it, it, it wore out. Mm-hmm. Car, we, we, those of you driving cars now that weren't in that area, you have no idea how good you have it. Oh, yeah. None whatsoever. And if you're not driving a classic car, you don't even know either. The the uh, the constant maintenance. We have come so far. Mm-hmm. Well, we've come so far from the electric battery back in uh, 1897. Yeah. So and then we got out of that, started building other cars. Now we're back into it again. But we'll get into a couple of those articles I, I, I drug up for that. So let's head over to John. John's got a 16 Silverado with a, with a diesel. John, what's going on? Yeah, so here a few years back, I got a check engine light on the cooling system, never ended up fixing it. But here the other day when it finally got warm out, um, my coolant light come on, so low coolant level. When I got home, popped it up, I was going to top it off. It gurgled for a bit, and then it seemed like it Yep. Are you there? We lost you for a second. It gurgled for a bit and did what? John, are you there? Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can oh, hear you, you now. I heard you say it gurgled for a bit and did what? Then it filled the reservoir back up, and uh, I haven't had a problem since. But since my check engine light had come on, uh, my temperature gauge never got up past, oh, say, 100 and 190. Mm-hmm. Well, now after this whole incident, it's come back up to about. 200 sometimes at that 210 mark and have you scanned the check engine light do you know what it's on for i i did a year ago or so and it just said a coolant problem um it sounds it, it was something that, sounds like you got a bad sensor in there and, and you just opened the cap and sensor or a thermostat possibly yeah and, and then you, when you open that cap you and it gurgled up it just kind of hit that switch and and all the things started working again that's kind of what it sounds well, like and, but and i don't know if it had anything to do with oh a week or two ago i alternator pulley went out and shredded the uh belt yeah and i put a new belt on and everything so i didn't know if could be something with the water pump if putting a new belt on would uh tighten it back up or something or yeah. how long did you drive it with no belt on it uh, about 10 miles get okay. home okay so if that got hot i mean you could what well, in it, theory I, maybe create an air pocket in there maybe you lost i some monitored cooler. the temperature and it never come up mm-hmm yeah in, in i have seen a lot of cars that were uh that have come in overheated and I uh, say, well, did it overheat? Nope, never seen anything on the gauge. So uh, it all you depends put the on where the back on there. Then you yeah. start running it. Then you see you got a problem. So yeah. Anytime you lose a belt, it's always good rule of thumb to open that radiator cap, let it run, top off whatever you need because you know you could it could get hot. I mean, it could get up to essentially 235 degrees in a Chevy before that gauge is going to move. Yeah, anywhere you're going to think is out of line. Yeah, or you could add an air pocket in there, and it sounds to me like when you loosen the cap, everything kind of came back to where it was. You topped it off, and yeah, I, I think you, you know, I think you just monitor it for a little bit, clear your codes, monitor it for a little bit. If nothing else, I think the first place you would start would be the sensor. Sure. All right. Yeah. Where, like, where would that sensor be? 
Is that in the reservoir? Or? Up on the top of the engine, somewhere <laughs> near the uh, thermostat, I would guess. Right yeah. on the back side of the okay. thermostat, yeah, on the some... engine side of your thermostat. I'll have to do some YouTube videos. There you go. Uh, yeah. You yeah get... Diesels, I'm not too up to date on, but it's going to be somewhere in around there. All right. Uh, well, I think that answers my question. Well, I appreciate it. You bet. Appreciate the call, John. All right. Thank you much. You bet. You know, any car, whether it's diesels or gas, you're right. It, yeah. Some cars will, uh, when you lose a fan belt, you blow a hose, you know, whatever it is, uh, some will overheat pretty quickly mm-hmm. because it's losing antifreeze that, that quick. And other cars, I, I don't know how many times they come, well, it didn't, it didn't overheat it at all, so I just kind of drove it in and it, smoked, it just, you know, fire's coming out of it. Yeah. So it, it really all depends on where that sensor's at. And sometimes they, you know, put them in the radiator. Sometimes put them in the back of the blocks. It's just. Every car is different in that it sense. Is. And I always try to make it a habit. Like if I'm plugging my monitor into the car, I'm going to leave it on through the whole repair before and after. Mm-hmm. That way I can kind of, I mean, if you ask me what temperature does a Chrysler Sebring run at, I'm not going to be able to tell you off the top of my head. Right. But right. I know that a Chevy Cobalt, the fan doesn't come on till 235 degrees. Yeah, I know. It seems kind of hot, is, don't it? You know, the first time I figured that out, I'm like, <laughs> okay, we got a fan issue because every other car on the face of this planet comes on at 220 degrees. Yeah, about 219, so by the time that I got my probe out and I'm scoping wires and the fan comes on, of course. And you know, the other possibility is kind of like, uh, you remember Saturn used to have a problem with their coolant temp sensor. It would oh, just, that little glass probe. Yeah, the little glass it. probe. And sometimes it worked great and other times it would overheat. And I'll tell you, you it's thought overheating. You had an engine going out when that thing went yeah. bad. Yeah, and, and it was just a, a, a crappy little sensor that they put another one in. Problem, actually, a different style of sensor. This yeah, they one was, redesigned that thing. Yeah, well yeah. after the fact. But, well after the fact. But yeah, yeah. they finally after they it closed down. Brass sensor. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's when GM took uh, took hold of that, and they kind of quit that outsource. From wherever those things came yeah. from, I don't know where that, that was. Would... A that was a great car company on paper, and there's still some. You know, I tell you what, the the Saturns out there that run great, are the ones that they contracted uh, Honda engines and transmissions to be in. I remember writing a report about the Saturn when I was in school because <laughs> what they came out what ninety three, so I yeah. would have been about ten or so, and we were doing a thing on the industrial revolution and you know what we're doing now or something like that, and I was like. Started looking into it, and I was yeah. like, Saturn made in U.S. Man, we're back at it. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they weren't. They didn't, anything and that GM built. And I started built. working on it, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Well, some to rewrite this 20 years later. Yeah, some of the other ones that have Hondas and transmissions, they're still running, and they're great cars. All the other ones are done. Yeah, those later so. ones, you pop the hood, and it looked like a Honda Pilot under there. Yeah, exactly. Only with that redesigned air tube yep. that yep. wrapped around the engine compartment twice. but Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break on the Mr. Mechanic Show. 558-1110 is the numbers to get in. We'll be back in a minute. The Mr. Mechanic Show presents the cheesiest songs of the 80s. That's right. We're talking the worst, the cheesiest, those songs you love to hate just for mechanics. I'm all out of grease. I'm so dry without you. My pistons are dry, and I really need lube. My dipstick is low. 
I think I need oil. You ruined my car down to ignition coil. Nothing like a little air wrench supply. hey And who could forget the ball joint boys? I'll move ya, I'll rub ya. Ooh, I wanna prime you engine cooler. Your fluids only if you knew it, but your car is so screwed. Nothing I can do. Your car is screwed. And this hit from Millie Vanilli, who are ironically working at an actual gas station today. Your tires are low and your oil's too. Girl, you really need more transmission fluid. Your ball joint's broken, your tranny is gone. Your catalytic converter out on the lawn. But here is your bill, I did all I could do from me to you. Girl, you know it's true. And even this craptastic hit, no one even remembers. My car is broken on the road. I need a tow. Good thing I brought a jack. I brought a jack. I brought a jack. I brought a jack. My car is broken on the road. I need a tow. Good thing I brought a jack. I brought a jack. I brought a jack. The Mr. Mechanic Show presents the cheesiest songs of the 80s. Available in a store nowhere near you. All right, we are back on the Mr. Mechanic Show. 558-1110 is the numbers to get in. You know, we did have some, some beer weather yesterday, and I wonder how many cars got caught up in that. I don't know. Tossed and thrown and everything else. And hope everybody, I know one way we can find out. Hope everybody's okay in that in that aspect, too. I know it's a, it's a not a not a fun thing to go through, so... But you get you get some stories out of you know my car just flipped it over like the guy in Texas. It's yeah, he got new, a job. Remember? Yeah, he got a story? job and he got a new truck. But that's uh... big day for that guy. <laughs> Absolutely. So here was a uh, here's an interesting article that I found. Um, the Sierra Club. You know who the Sierra Club is it's kind of the uh, environmental kind of thing, kind of a watchdog kind of deal. I was thinking about a different club, but okay. They were uh, <laughs> well. That's, I'll find out that's the bottom of the article. But anyway, they, uh, the Sierra Club kind of wants to know, wanted to know why. There just wasn't as many EVs on the road as everybody says are being built. So they called 800 dealerships around the country mm. and found out that uh, 66% of them didn't even have an EV on the lot for anybody to look at or go by. So most of them are getting you know, snabbed up with, with orders, and a lot of them are going to, uh, you know, the big places that they're going to is like the the, the the coastal states. Sure. They're like the West Coast. They, they're really big on EV out there in California. So uh, a lot of them are going out there because you can buy some mm-hmm. used. I've had some customers buy some used EVs out there um, and then bring them back here. Just, oh, sure. That are just a few miles old. So that's part of the reason you can't find one. Is just because they're not there, and uh, they're they're trying to build them, but you know, there's too many of them, you know, and, and you're probably going to get down to the point where, you know, what do you do with when you go buy an EV car? Do you do you stick with the big three, you know, the the big guys that are already mm-hmm. building combustion engines already, just, and then you go buy an EV from them because they're probably going to still be around. Some of these EV startups. Uh, electric vehicle startups are are struggling right now. 
Oh, with, I can imagine. That. The they econ- got no name out there. Well, they got no name. They're trying to do a startup. They're trying. They're just uh, burning through money like crazy, trying to get these built and get them out there, and they're just struggling. And you know, there's already a, one or two that's just kind of gave up and gone bot- bankrupt. So, do you want that car potentially? That it's going to be non-serviceable in ten years because the company's not going to be around, mm-hmm. and everybody's going to kind of look at you, and you're going to have a. And this is nothing we haven't seen before. I mean, the amount of defunct American mm-hmm. automakers. I mean, yep. if you get online, you're going to be printing out four pages. Yeah, yeah, you're going I to mean, have an old. Uh, you know, look at Tucker. Yeah, I mean, great fifty cars, and away they went. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're one of the guys that got stuck with one of those fifty. I mean. Yeah, good for you now. They're worth, but, but everything you got has to be made. Yeah, and you can't uh, you can't find any Tucker parts, not with 150 of them. Yeah, in the world, and getting less, you know, all the yeah. time. I mean, you've been to junkyards. I've been to junkyards where you see a car and you're like, "What is that?" And you find some kind of name badge on there and Google it, like Playboy mm-hmm. car. I found one of those in a junkyard in western Nebraska, and I was like, "What is this some sticker that some guy put on there from the magazine or what? It was a car company in the 40s. Really? Well before the magazine was ever a thing. Really? And Interesting. a little small car, not very big, kind of ugly to say the least. <laughs> and so Transportation for somebody. So anyway, I'm in the middle of this field researching this car. And thank God for cell phones. Otherwise, I'd be in the dark. Probably would have forgot it never looked it up. <laughs> right. But yeah, the biggest collection of those cars is in Iowa. Huh. Yeah, guy's got nine of them. <laughs> you know, there is, I think we did an article a while back about the flood that happened in West Virginia. I think it was a few years back, and it wiped out the guy's uh, total Fiero collection. Oh, and he had, uh, they were all upside down. I think he had 25 of them that got totaled. Oh, damn. Uh, I didn't know there was... <laughs> What's payout on one of those? I don't know. 1500 bucks? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But, you know, I suppose he was starting a club, and uh, he was the head. I'm more surprised He's that the, the biggest guy. collection of Fieros is only 25 cars. I well, mean, that's what he had. There's got to be some redneck somewhere that's got 100 of them <laughs> just stored away because they, they were his cool car in the 80s. That was a cool car for about no, oh, I think half an hour, and I think every one of them's got a Bon Jovi eight track <laughs> stuck in it. They were, they were terrible overheating cars. Oh my gosh, they were. The wiring on them, I remember the one that I've gotten to work on. You were there. Horrible cars. Yeah, I was wiring that car up. <laughs> oh, I remember. I remember Lucas those cars wiring a lot. Harnesses. Here's an interesting article, too, I ran across. It's uh, in Florida. They want to start helping build some of the roads with um, with some stuff that they come out of. And I'm not even sure the name of it, but it's, it's radioactive material. Radio, radium-226. It's a natural occurring substance that produces radon gas, which is hazardous to the air pollution. They want to start mixing that with the aggregate in the... Uh, the stuff that builds roads out there. Okay. I just seems like that is interesting from from the first start. <laughs> well, so let's just uh, see if we can spread it throughout the instead of keeping it confined in one spot, why don't we see if we can spread it throughout the entire state? Yeah. I don't know. I why guess Why not? I mean, uh, yeah. 
There's plenty of rock. What's going to happen, though, if you're roller skating on that and you fall and skin up your elbow and you got yeah. radioactive waste involved? Uh, exactly. There's plenty of rock out there. I mean, it, I mean, you bring rock in from everywhere. I mean, I just don't. I'm willing to test it. I mean, I guess I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It just shows that we're trying to try. We're trying everything, and that's. I think that's the. That's the number one hundred thing you're going to try before you try everything else. Well, we got a lot of this radioactive waste. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe it's. Uh, it dries. Maybe it lasts longer. I don't know. I don't know what the, the thing is. Speaking today. of last longer, let's talk to Cliff with some motor oil. Yeah, Cliff, what's going on today? Well, just uh, um, I've heard that you know motor oil has a shelf life. Is that a true statement? You know, a guy buys it when it's on sale and you kind of stock up a little bit. And I do. That. I'm just curious. So, does it actually have a shelf life? Boy, not not that I'm aware of. You know. Oh. I've got motor oil from. I got stuff in cans that you have to punch open with a thing that I yes. used before. I yeah, mean, so do I. Are you going to see the effects on your engine? Is your engine going to get sick? No. 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 I mean, yeah, I, I was, I was kind of curious about that because I, I think I read two articles. I, I can't remember it was a few months back and about motor oil having um, two to three years shelf life, and I don't know why that would be. And I. Sure, I'd just give you guys a call because I got motor oil sitting probably just like you. I've got some down there about yeah. 10, 12 years old that I Use got back. So. That sounds like something that came from the uh, the motor oil company. Yeah, you know, I mean, my been... way of thinking, oil expired about 3 million years ago. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and they made it better. I suppose if it sits there, all the good molecules go to the bottom, so that I suppose you'd have to shake it up so that you get it all. Yeah, your motor's going to do that. It's a big blender. <laughs> get all that mixed in. Let me shake it up a little bit, get all the molecules circulated in the bottle, then it should be all fine. No. Use it. Oh, good. Use, I, as much, use whatever oil you got. If it looks like oil, use it. Yeah, I, I would oh, agree. And I, I've done the same thing as Kyle. I've got old stuff. I'm still using it. Yeah. Great. No big deal. Thank there. you much. You bet. Appreciate the call. Yeah, I've got some old 1040 for the for the classic. And, uh, boy, I'm not letting that go. It's hard to find 1040. Oh, yeah. I find that stuff at a swap meet. I buy up whatever yeah. I can. I got totes and shelves of that stuff at the yeah. house. Yeah. Guess what? If I need a court, I got it. Now, out there in Mr. Mechanic land, if anybody else knows that that, that, that has a shelf life, I would be interested in knowing why and tell me what it does and your experience of with, with bad going you bad. You need a case study. I've got some. Yeah. At least 10-year-old yeah, oil. I, I, I want to know, know what the, the case study is of New a bad quart of motor oil. Not used, but the, just a just a, a bad one that's been sitting Oh, I there. know I got a barrel in my shed that I'm trying to figure out. I got one of those old cans. I got an old Sears can. Right. We should open that up and see what it's like. Yeah. All right, 558-1110 is the numbers to get in. We're going to take a quick break. Be back in a bit. All right, we are back on the Mr. Mechanic Show. We're going to hop right back into the calls, and uh, we're going to start with Gary. Gary's got a 2020 Durango. Gary, what's going on today? Well, I got a little, how come Chrysler likes to hide their batteries? Ah, because they run out of spots, you know. (laughs) Other people don't have so much that. Yeah, they did the same thing in the Jeep. It's underneath the seat. Yeah, well, that's what this is, underneath the passenger seat. What's the secret to get access to it? Take the Uh, seat out. Take the seat out. I mean, you you can struggle, and you you put it all the way forward, and then you tip it forward, and then you try to get it in and out of there. There's it, two batteries under there. In that. Yeah, and and you know, actually, a, a battery that's conditioned will last longer for you, providing you drive it. But and when I mean conditioned, it's inside the cabin, and it's it's heated and air conditioned, 
and it'll just it'll last longer. But Kyle's right. There's uh, two 15 and four 15 millimeter bolts. You know, scoot it uh, all the way back, take the two front out, scoot it all the way forward, take the other ones out, and you can just grab the whole seat, disconnect a couple of connectors. Set it on the back seat. Set your yeah. <laughs> yep. Just make sure you get the airbag and the presence sensor and all those other things there. And maybe you don't. I was to come to that. <laughs> well, it, you know, it sounds it sounds worse than what it is. It really is. Yeah. Um, or you can you push it back, like Kyle said, push it back and kind of just uh, – lay it on the back seat or we'll put the put the back on the on the back seat and you can kind of go through the driver's door and get it but yeah i know they, they could have put that in a better spot couldn't they like general motors kind of did theirs right in between the the back seat and the front seat right there on the floor you can actually get in and out to get that one much better yeah. but we had a magnum that was underneath the back floor and that was easy mm-hmm yeah, you know, Park Avenues used to put them underneath the back seat. We did, and Cadillacs used to do it back in the early '90s. And uh, I tell you what, those those batteries were one of the ones that lasted the longest. Volkswagen uh, Beetle was well, under the back seat. Yep, sure was. I figured after after three years, I figure I might need to be getting access to that at least for a look, see and see if there's any corrosion or anything. But I doubt there will be. Yeah, yeah. Never see corrosion on those batteries. No, you don't see you know you don't see much corrosion with them at all, and uh, you know make sure the vents hooked up if, if you change it. Real if you're with, just looking for maintenance wise, you can just pop that cover up and get that out of the way. You don't got to take the whole seat out just to look. at Oh it. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just to get a quick load test. You could it. actually look in there then. Yep. Yeah. There's that plastic I, cover, and that just snaps on there. So I can tell you about a journey we had if you got time. Oh yeah, we we know about the journeys too. Go ahead. <laughs> They're under the left front fender, I found out. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and those corrode. And, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, tell me about it. My wife was stranded in Plattsmouth one winter day, and I went down there with the jumper cables, and it started right up. But as soon as I disconnected the jumper cables, it would die. Yeah. I ended up driving all the way back to Omaha with the jumper cables hooked up with a battery <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> then I had to take the wheel off, the inner fender off, and finally extracted the battery, only to find out it had that black corrosion yep. on the on the terminals. Ended up putting the new battery in. There was nothing wrong with the old battery. The fact is that battery is in one of my street rods right now still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a special battery. You can't put nothing in there other than that, and yeah. uh, it's just it's a pain. You're right. That 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 was probably the worst one right there. There was no nece- It wasn't necessary to do that. We, we I, I, called the de- I, I called the dealer one day, and I said, hey, where's the battery on this uh, journey? He says, well, just open the hood. It's right there. <laughs> he didn't even know. Yeah, it was probably new to him, too. It was new to yeah. us when it first happened. So, yeah, Gary, try you know, try that. It That's where it's at. It's just, it, it's more, it, it's not nearly as much work as it sounds. Yeah, well, like I say, after three years, I was getting a little concerned, at least the peak yeah. of it. Well, the average life of a battery is about three and a half to four years. I mean, there's a lot of batteries that go longer than that. So I got one that's going on 18 years. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So my, I put it in service in 2007 on my, one of my street rods, my 30 High Boy. Huh. And uh, it's to this will be its, well, whatever, it's 17th year, 15th yeah. year, something like that. Yeah. And it's still, I started it up a week ago after it had been in hibernation all winter, and it took yeah. right off. You got a good one. You got a good one. Un- un- unbelievable. Right. Yep. Yep. All right, Gary, we're going to move. I appreciate the call. We're going to head over to uh, Tony. Tony's got an 07 town and country. Tony, what's going on today? 
Well, it's got to do with the transmission. Uh, after it's warmed up a bit and uh, I'm going down the road doing my 45 miles an hour like I'm supposed to, and uh, the stoplight turns red, so I'm slowing down. And as it's shifting down, when it goes down to that first gear, it's not really smooth. It's rather uh, clunky. Mm-hmm. Okay. How many miles are on it? Um, 84,000. Okay. Sounds like it's losing hydraulic pressure inside the transmission. Mm-hmm. Especially on the downshift I- side. Um, have you done anything to it at all? Well, I took it to one of the local uh, big names, and uh, sure. they test drove it, and uh, they thought that what they should do is drain it, change the filter, and check the O-ring on the stub that the filter screws onto because it might have a crack in it, and then fill it back up and drive it, and then they wanted $500 to do that, so that didn't sound like a good deal to me. Yeah, well... I can tell you if that O-ring on the filter is bad, your filter is not going to be attached to the transmission. And secondly, you're going to have problems throughout the shift range of this car. Yeah, because it's... it's not just going to lose pressure on one shift. It's going to lose pressure through the whole unit. Right, because it's more... It's you, you're, you're trying to suck it up two or three inches versus being laying on the bottom of the pan. It's like getting a cup from McDonald's that has a hole in the straw. That's the effect that you're getting yeah. with that particular case is what's happening and and that um, that also has solenoid packs on the on the front of it that can affect um on the, that transmission that sure. can affect how it shifts too especially on the up or, or down so that would probably be the first place i'm looking at it uh but usually that comes along with some codes in the transmission you know maybe you've got uh, some solenoids that aren't working have a code that's set accordingly uh, is it leaking from is it leaking at all no, no, okay. not a not a drop. Okay, all right. And it, and like I said, it it's only as it's going into that uh, lowest gear, like when I'm I'm about slowing down to maybe ten miles an hour. It it's that. So the, and Kyle's right. The hydraulic pressure is just getting high when it goes down. When up shifts, it goes into the hydraulic pressure changes, and when it goes down, it uh, it's just hitting really hard at that particular time. You your choices are to go in and, and uh, just hang and hang out with it and see if it gets worse or you're going to have to go in and do some repair to it. It kind of depends on, on what you want to do. But is servicing it and looking at the bottom of the pan may have already make your decision of, of which way you're going. And that's kind of maybe why they're doing that. They're, they want to pull the pan, uh, check, for debris. Yep, check for debris, and maybe change the filter and the fluid and see if it solves your problem. Because a lot of times changing the, the, the fluid will solve your problem. but Or make it worse. Or make it worse. But if you've got debris hanging in the bottom of the pan, your decision's open. You're, you're either A, going to run it to the end, or because it's already taken itself out, or you're going to change it then. So. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Well, thank you. I uh, I just thought that uh, changing tranny fluid was supposed to kind of be detrimental to trannies after X amount of miles. Not necessarily if it's been maintained, no. No, if, if you change the transmission fluid after it's already starting to slip, well, it's too late, and yes, it's going to have a big problem. All that brand-new slippery fluid is going to make it worse. Nah, okay. Yeah. Well, thank thank you very much, man. All right, sounds good. Appreciate the call.
Yeah, we're going to head over to we're going to go over to Chris. Chris got oil oil shelf life. What 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 do you, what do you have, Chris? Well, hi guys. Yeah, uh, I wanted to comment on the oil shelf life. Uh, I, I don't think oil's probably got a shelf life. Uh, I work for a company that works on really big diesel engines for generators, mm-hmm. and the oil doesn't even really have a shelf life in the engine. Sometimes we see oil that's in engines for 10, 12, even maybe 20 years, and it doesn't really break down mechanically. It just becomes contaminated. Right, sure. So, I'm, uh, I mean, typically these engines will hold oh, three or 400 gallons of oil in the crankcase. Maybe the whole system might be up to 1,000 gallons, but uh, there's really quality filters and even centrifuges on the systems to remove the carbon, and as long as you can keep the oil clean, Yep. The oil doesn't really wear out. So yep. I can't think that there's really a shelf life no, and I, on you, oil. You're exactly correct. And that's kind of why they've gone to synthetic because the synthetic will – there are studies out there on synthetic, and, and the, the manufacturers won't tell you this, but you go every 6,000 and then you go 10,000. The older the mileage gets, the more that things are still good at 25,000 miles later. The problem with right. that and is that is – it will consume the oil because it's so thin in cars, and nobody checks the oil. And next thing you know, you <laughs> blow up the motor. Well, even even with our fleet of service trucks, we typically will change the oil filter at five thousand miles, and then change the oil at ten thousand. Yeah, and yeah. So we get good life out of it. As long as you can keep the oil clean, it really doesn't have a a service life. I agree with you, Chris, all the way along. I pre- <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate the call. All right, we're going to take a quick break on the Mr. Mechanic Show, and we'll be back in a minute. Okay, we are back in the Mr. Mechanic Show. We are Buchanan Service Centers at 50th and Dodge, 80th and Dodge, Guaranteed Breaks, 49th Avenue and Dodge. We're going to head back into the calls. Which which one are we going to go to first? Mark. Mark's got a 99 Ford Taurus. Mark, what's going on? Hey, guys. Um, I've been having some trouble this last year. Um, and I don't know what's going on. I get a I got a current draw someplace, and there's times when this car will start multiple days in a row just fine, and then there there'll be a day where if I don't drive it or something, I gotta boost it. And so I get the battery charged up, and you know take the negative cable loose just to check and see if there's a big spark there. There's a little spark, but not much, and so I don't I don't know how to check for a current draw by you know when you're by yourself. Mm, you can use a test light, but I mean that's going to be fairly difficult for you to get any kind yeah. of reading off of. That's more something for like the really old cars. You'll need some kind of a voltmeter. Okay. You can use either an amp meter with a clamp on it. Is a very uh-huh. good way especially if you have a better one that has a minimum maximum setting because then you can just clamp it on there overnight and leave it and see where it maxes out overnight and you'll know if something's coming on and off intermittently yeah but um, unfortunately on fords they're one of the harder ones to find a parasitic (laughs) drain on because none of the modules go to sleep for the first half hour that your car shut off mm-hmm. so you have a half hour of initial drain on that battery before any of these modules are going to sleep yeah you got to hook up all your equipment then you got to walk away for a half an hour 
and then okay. um, and then you come back to see whether or not everything has been put to sleep, and then you kind of have to okay. go from there. It is how you know it can be kind of easy to do if you've maybe left something on the trunk light or something like that, or a seat switch is stuck. Um, otherwise, it can get kind of involved because there's you've got to almost put it on a milliamp uh, type of scale through a voltmeter uh-huh. in order to be able to find what it is. You know, going through the old oh. test light trick is is um, for old cars only. Old cars, yeah, old cars only. You could do that. We used to do that all the time, but the, the newer they get. and I mean, the, Ford used to have a gem module back then, and it caused all sorts of problems. And a gem module is the, the module that would run all your accessories inside, and something can just not be going to sleep and causing a problem. But you have to... You have to catch it at the time you do it. I mean, we might be able to hook that up there and and put it all on there, and, and it's going. The voltage is going down, and can't find anything. And then, like you said, okay. the next day it's it's doing it again. But it can be aggravating. I've what did you call that that uh, module? Gem module, it's generic called, electronic module. Yep, it's called a gem module. It's like a body control module on any yeah. other kind of car. Ford calls it a gem or a front control module, fed yeah. module. They, they were kind of common to go bad, but there's a, a lot of other things that they went bad on them, too. Yeah. Well, I know my charging system's in good shape. Cause sure. I had it tested and put on a draw and everything, and and it's fine. There's something hanging up, some kind of relay or I yep. don't know. Nothing. Well, relays go on and off all the time, and after so many years, like yours is getting old, it uh, that relay can come on, stick on, and have an issue. You know, cooling fan modules had problems in those cars. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. It's 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 uh, uh it's just it's an, a process. It's and a process. It's, it's an aggravating process, and um, you just have to, like I said, hook up some meters and find out. You should have two or three volts, and that should be about it. Okay. Makes me wish I had my 69 loads running back. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> See you, Paul. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate the call. Yeah, that's, a, that's another quick hour. Kyle. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Went fast. Hope we helped with some people. 558-1110 is the numbers to get in next week. Get in early so we can answer your questions and uh, get you back to fixing that car. I'm Bob. Kyle. See you next week.